Support for WERU comes from Harvest Fuels, Midcoast Maine's full-service fuel oil dealer, offering biofuel blends made from natural renewable resources for oil heating systems. Information at harvest at midcoast.com. The time is 10.01 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with Ron Beard is next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension provides Maine people with research-based educational programs and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning, our topic is the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. What are the potential impacts? In the studio with us, we have some folks who will help us a little later on with that question. Uh, Dana Reed is here from the town of Bar Harbor. Dana's the town manager there. Welcome, Dana. Ron, pleasure to be here. And Jeff Austin is with Maine Municipal Association. Uh, Jeff, welcome to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, first of all, I'll just get a little bit of background um, from each of you, and then we'll go to our guests who are with us by phone. Dana, t- just a thumbnail sketch um, about the, the, uh, the town of Bar Harbor, about approximate size, approximate budget, that sort of thing. Well, Ron, overall we have uh, Bar Harbor's about 5,000 people in the wintertime, of course. But in the summertime, uh, that population goes up to close to 20,000. And uh, altogether, there's about a $7 million budget for the okay. town for the municipal operations. And you have a town council form of government, but you still have a traditional town meeting. That's right. We have town meeting every spring. Okay. Jeff, um, a little bit about um, Maine Municipal Association. Um, what is it? Sure. MMA is a voluntary membership organization where the members are cities and towns. Uh, to be clear, the groups that we represent are the elected officials in Maine's cities and towns, not the sort of constituent employee groups such as police and fire. Uh, MMA provides a variety of services. We're, we're mostly an insurance company that sells insurance to cities and towns, but we also provide legal services, uh, collective bargaining, and what I do, which is lobbying and legislative advocacy, uh, which is why we're involved in Tabor as a, as a piece of legislation. Great. Well, joining us by phone is the uh, principal proponent for Tabor, um, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, and that's Mary Adams. Welcome to you, Mary. Oh, good morning. Nice to be here. And also joining us is Bill Becker. William Becker is the uh, executive director of the Maine Heritage Policy Center. Welcome to you, Bill. Well, good morning. Um, Mary, could we start with you? A little bit of uh, background on yourself. You've been the energizer bunny of, uh, of tax um, issues in Maine. Um, you go back a long time, and you've been very consistent about these issues. How did you get involved? Uh, you live in the town of Garland. Is, are taxes a particularly uh, significant issue for you? Um, the, uh, the local control issue has always been um, significant for me. And 30 years ago, I uh, led a petition drive similar to the one which I led, which has put question one on the ballot. And that repealed the state property tax. 
um, nearly 30 years ago. I did that because it was driving people out of their homes, the state property tax. And, um, and the legislature didn't have the political will to do anything about it. So we brought the issue to the voters of Maine by citizen initiative. And the same thing has happened 30 years later. There's no political will to um, to break the stranglehold of of government on the taxpayers of Maine, and now we're number one in taxes in the whole nation. So, so it's uh, it's really the same fight back again this time um, to give more power to the taxpayers to limit government spending without their approval. Okay, and and Bill, a little bit of, of background uh, first about the Maine Heritage Policy Center. Um, what well, is I it? Could, I yep. couldn't quite hear your question, but I think you asked about the Maine Heritage Policy Center. We're a free market, uh, economic conservative think tank located in Portland, uh, almost four years old, and our efforts are to uh, talk about uh, solutions, uh, free market solutions that will benefit all of the people of Maine. One of the things that we did early on was look at uh, Maine's highest in the nation tax burden and try to figure out how to get at that from a uh, from a perspective of the taxpayer that was being taxed the highest. And we saw the tax and expenditure limitation laws across the country uh, had been very successful, and we thought that we would replicate it, and so we drafted model legislation for the state of Maine, talking to lots of people around the state and around the country as to what the best format would be, and then submitted that uh, out to the public, if you will, as, as model legislation, and Mary Adams took it forward as a citizen's initiative. Um, perhaps both of you could begin and, and help us understand what you're calling the tax burden. I assume that you're referring to the combination of, of taxes, um, uh, starting with the local property tax, but also um, state sales tax and income tax. Talk a little bit about that and how you find um, Maine to be um, relative to other states or, or uh, um, other situations. Jeff, I mean, excuse me, uh, Bill first and then Mary? Sure. Well, Maine has the highest state and local tax burden in the nation as a percentage of our income, which means that we're now up to 13.5%. Uh, so every uh, $1,000 that we earn, $135 of that goes to state and local taxes. And that's the highest in the nation. And really, Maine has been the highest in the nation for the last 12 years. We've been promised tax relief over the course of the last decade, Yet the state budget has doubled, local spending has doubled. So what we see is not only high state and local tax burden as a percentage of our income, but we see a perception of Maine as an unfriendly place in which to do business. And that's part of the key reason that our economy is struggling. Mary, what's your perspective on this question of tax burden? Yes, I'm particularly um, concerned with um, the flat economy uh, caused by the high tax burden. The uh, Boston Federal Reserve Board uh, noted in their study of economies nationwide um, in 2005 that Louisiana and Maine were the only two states to go backward. Um, it, that's the result of overspending uh, for many, many years. I'm also very concerned about taxes that are doubling, property taxes that are doubling sometimes in one year um, and often within five years. Um, what I'm finding is that no one feels secure in their home anymore. Uh, even the middle-class working folks don't know if, upon retirement, they are going to be able to stay in their homes if they live very long and people are living long. And also the elderly um, are leaving their homes prematurely because taxes are driving them from their homes. 
this I think is used by government, and uh, I've never I've never been able to stand to see people or animals abused, and and I believe that government has become abusive to taxpayers especially homeowners. But, but we still are deriving a significant benefit from living in a, in a state um, where the roads get plowed and, and our kids get educated. So what well, are the things? That's, that's kind of a, uh, um, I know I've heard this before, but other states are able to plow their roads and provide education for their children at, at a much lower cost. And, uh-huh. and, um, and, and I think that, that we have to, that priorities, which the Taxpayer Bill of Rights um, uh, encourages governments to do, so that we can uh, provide services at a lower cost, but of oh, the same or better quality. Well, um, Maine has certainly faced into this question before, perhaps not as effectively um, as some would like to see, but um, Bill or Mary, um, could you give us a sense of, of in the last couple of years, um, Maine has tried to deal with these issues. Pileski, um, as an initiative, um, went forward and, and was defeated by voters. And then last year, um, the legislature, with the governor's um, um, kind of initiative um, and, and support from many others, passed LD1. Where do these things play out in, in your strategy? Um, how do you see these things um, uh, working or not working? Well, I'll take it from, from a historical perspective just over the last four years. In the 2002 gubernatorial campaign, all of the candidates running for office talked about the need to lower taxes and that they would address that issue. It didn't happen. In 2003, we had 1A, 1B, 1C, uh, which was voted down, so we had to go to June of 2004 where we had 1A. That was approved. Then we had the Pulaski referendum, and a couple weeks before the property tax cap, the state chamber, the MMA, and the MEA said, don't vote for that. We're going to solve your problem with another bill. So we didn't vote for that, no property tax relief. LD1 came along, and we were promised on the day that LD1 was signed, historic and unprecedented property tax relief. The vast number of Maine citizens have just paid their property tax bill, and in my conversations with them, the vast majority of them, many of them, have not seen historic or unprecedented property tax relief. In fact, most of them saw their taxes go up. So we've had, you know, really not just the last four years, but decades of promises uh, I was debating uh, Jeff Herman, who works with Jeff Austin, last night, and said, look, we've been working on property tax relief for 20 years. And I said, but for 20 years, our property taxes have continued to increase. So it's an, a long-standing problem. It, the legislature has not been able to deal with it effectively. They have not had the political will. And the Constitution of the state of Maine certainly allows the citizens to petition its government to operate within different parameters, and that's what's happened here. Mm. Uh, Mary, any comments about um, past um, efforts and and the effectiveness of those efforts? Um, I think it I I think it pr- proves that um, as as Bill says, there's no political will um, in Augusta. Um, this last ditch attempt by Peter Mills and uh, the main chamber and the teachers union um, is simply to try and derail question one, and uh, we would end up. Um, if people <laughs> failed to vote yes on one, we would just end up in the same soup again with the same people who will see that nothing really gets done because they're going to protect their special interests before they protect the interest of the taxpayer. So um, if you could um, outline what um, you believe uh, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, how would it work? How would it actually reduce uh, the tax burden to Maine citizens? Uh, Bill first and then Mary? Sure, the, the tax burden actually comes down three different ways. 
First, we see the Colorado experience, where when they passed the Taxpayer Bill of Rights in 1992, their top marginal income tax rate was 5%. They have the rebate provision, which says that any uh, revenue that comes in in excess of allowable spending gets rebated to the taxpayers. So after a few years of the rebates, they said, look, we shouldn't be in the business of giving out rebates. We should be lowering the tax rate so that people keep more of the money in their pockets. So they lowered it to 4.75%. And then they lowered the top marginal income tax rate to 4.63% where it stands today. Compare that to Maine's 8.5% individual income tax rate and 8.93% corporate income tax rate. Colorado's today is 4.63%. So the first place is you see a reduction in the tax rate. Secondly, you do have those rebates, especially in the early years. And so that's immediately... Uh, tax relief, tax money in people's pockets. So that's the second third. So this is actually called for in the law, that, that, that there would be rebates, or is that just how Colorado handled it? No, that's, that's in Maine law. That's okay. the one that, that's been drafted uh, for that. And third, um, most tax burden is measured as a percentage of our income. And as we know, Mainers have some of the lowest incomes in the entire country. Why, why is that? It's because we have a struggling economy. And so as your economy increases, as your economy grows, your incomes go up uh, correspondingly. And so the third part is, as a percentage of our income, the tax burden would be lessened. We would stop being number one in the nation as a percentage of our income, and we would begin to come down towards the national average. So um, you're talking about um, aspects of the state um, uh, government and state spending. Um, how would that work at the local level in a, in a town, for instance? The exact same way. Mm. Exact so, same things qualify for both the state, the county, municipal, and school district. So the 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 issue that voters are, are are asked to respond to is a relatively simple one. You know, do you want to see um, t- taxes go down? But th- there's it's it's fairly significant in terms of the the details. Could you tell us a, a few of, of how those kinds of things work? Um, who who administers um, this? Is this the the legislature that does that? Is well, it? Well, it's a it's a law. It's a, it would be the law of the state, and so it would apply to every level of government, and they would be expected to comply with that. Uh, and so at the, at the legislative level, at the, at the state level, uh, the current biennial budget is $6 billion, and inflation has customarily held steady at about 3% over the last 20 years. So no matter what happens to the population growth, they're going to start with a, six, uh, with a 3% growth of that $6 billion budget. And then on top of that, there's an adjustment for uh, population growth, so it would grow by between half a percent and one percent. So the state budget automatically, without going out to any other uh, voter approval, would grow by between three and four percent. That's not an unreasonable growth factor. As a matter of fact, most citizens uh, feel fortunate if they can see their household or their business budgets grow by that amount every single year. So it's a, it's a, it would be a law. It would be implemented at each level of government. And, um, you know, despite the fact that there's those out there that say that it would not impact uh, the state government, they don't, what they're failing to disclose is that 99.9% of the laws, including LD1 and including the alternative to LD1, or the alternative to the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which has been promoted, would also be statutory laws. So the legislature could disregard that law just as much as they could disregard Taxpayer Bill of Rights or any other law that's on the book that's not in the Constitution. So... I mean, everybody was, is going to have to abide by the same law. Mary, how would it work in a, in a place that you're most familiar with, in your own town? How would um, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights affect you and, and your fellow taxpayers in Garland, for instance? Well, um, it, would, um, uh, it would require a two-thirds vote on the article, 
on the warrant at town meeting if what's being proposed in the articles takes us over the taxpayer bill of rights target of what we spent here in Garland the year before plus um, the uh, target increase, which could be uh, around 3% or whatever it turns out to be. And, and that would be if, if, um, if the number of, uh, if the total amount goes over that um, previous year's expenditure plus the increase, then it would, whatever the amount over that is, in other words, uh-huh. the override yep. only would go in an article which would require two-thirds of the people voting on that article to approve it in order to send it out to the people of Garland, uh, to the voters of Garland to vote on. Um, it's um, the so it's a two-step have, process, in other words. A, a two that's step, correct. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the case of the, the proposal calls for the legislative body um, to, um, to, uh, to vote by two-thirds on the override, and in the case of town meetings, um, it would be two-thirds of the town meeting voting on that article. It, it's not two-thirds of the voters of the town. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it, it's just requ- If there were 30 people voting at town meeting, it would require 20 of them uh, to approve it, to send it out to the rest of the voters. And again, for those not you know who haven't been to town meeting recently, normally things are happen happen by a, a simple majority. You're requiring a two thirds majority to to pass um, the increase that you're speaking about. That's right. We um, we we want to make sure that um, that a, a little clique isn't controlling the situation at town meetings, which has become more of a, more of a criticism that I'm hearing about town meetings because. Um, and, and once this happens, if two-thirds agree and send it out, then it extends local control for the town because that means that, that elderly people would have the uh, advantage of absentee balloting. Anybody who had to leave town that day could vote ahead of time by absentee ballot. It really extends uh, local control contrary to what opponents have been saying. Okay. Well, we've used um, about a third of our time. I just want to remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And so far, we've pr- heard primarily from Mary Adams, um, who is a proponent of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, or Tabor, and Bill Becker. And Bill is with the Maine Heritage Policy Center. Both of them are uh, proponents of uh, LD, I mean, excuse me, the uh, Initiative One um, that will appear on the ballots on, on November 7th. I've had some folks who I'm sure are probably sitting on their hands waiting to um, uh, weigh in on this. Um, and that uh, those folks are Dana Reed, who's the town manager of Bar Harbor, and Jeff Austin of the Maine Municipal Association. I'm going to start with Dana. I'll, I'll remind listeners that they can call a little later in the program. Um, while Bill and Mary are still on the phone, we, we won't be able to accept uh, phone calls because of our limited um, phone capacity. So we're going to give um, listeners a chance in the last 20 minutes of the program to call in, and, and uh, you can do so. I'll, I'll list that phone number a little later. Uh, D- Dana, you've um, dealt with uh, property taxes for a long time, so maybe that's the place to start. How do property taxes work, starting with the assessment process and then going to the budget process? Just give us that. Remind us how it works in, a, in, the, in an individual town. Well, Ron, every year around this tent. Every year around this time, uh, the Bar Harbor Town Council talks about what they want to accomplish during the coming budget year. So they're setting up front, they're setting revenue limits on what they expect to have come in. 
In our case, our budget year starts on July 1, uh, so we're getting quite a jump on it. It takes us quite a while to prepare that budget. Uh, and at that time, then, after the council sets the revenue limits, I work with my various department heads. So they basically, they, they are doing kind of what Tabor is doing. Exactly. They're saying, in, in our town, we want the taxes to grow by 3% or 4% based on some formula. No, no more than that. Okay. So it means we have to adjust our budgets accordingly. So the department heads and I, police chief, fire chief, treasurer, and so on, we get together and, and put a, together a budget plan for the spending of the coming year. And it outlines what council's goals are for the coming year, how much they're going to cost, and what people are going to get for their money. And I present that to council in January, and they usually for, hold four or five meetings to discuss it, study it, add to it, or subtract from it. And those are public meetings. And those are all public meetings. And before they tentatively adopt it, they hold a, a public hearing and make any amendments uh, that they feel appropriate after hearing from the public. Uh, council sends it on then to the Warrant Committee, which is a group of 22 local folks from every walk of life and who have been elected by the voters at, at the election the previous year to study the issues that are coming to town meeting, one of which is obviously one of our most important, is how much people are going to be taxed. And the Warrant Committee then studies the budget for another six weeks, meets with the council, uh, negotiates increases or decreases as necessary, and then met, recommend that budget to the town meeting. And this May, we're going to hold our 210th annual town meeting, hmm. where the voters review the council's budget, the voters change it, and the voters adopt one of their own. And they vote specifically how much to raise from taxes. So the people are deciding the issue at that point. Every registered voter in, in town is welcome to come and speak their mind and negotiate a settlement, something you can't do on a written ballot. It, you can't sit down all in the same room and come up with a solution to the town's problems. Uh, so once, once the budget is adopted, then that begins to influence the property tax. Exactly. The next step is then that the assessor takes over, and he has to split up the total amount that the voters approved into a smaller amount for each taxpayer. Uh, the assessor figures out the fair value of every property in town and every store, house, factory, whatever, and he totals the values of all those properties up, divides the total taxes to be raised by the total value of all those properties in town to get a mill rate, and multiplies that mill rate times the value of your property to get your fair share of the total. And so that share is your total tax bill. And the owners of more expensive homes get bigger bills. And the owners of less expensive homes get smaller bills. Mm. So it's, it's a system that's, that's been in place. Um, how would um, something like the Taxpayer Bill of Rights affect the town of Bar Harbor? You've, you've obviously done an analysis of this. Um, your town council has, has taken a position on Tabor against um, Tabor, I understand. Um, how would uh, Tabor affect um, you and in, in your town? Well, if the Taxpayer Bill of Rights had been in effect last May, when voters approve the current budget, the tax bills would have gone down by about 7% when, when the taxpayers got the bills this fall. Now, 7%. Now, despite such a relatively small savings for individual taxpayers, the services that would need to be cut amount to about $500,000 from our municipal budget and $300,000 from the grammar school budget. I don't have the numbers from the high school budget or the county budget, but these are, are locally controlled budgets. So services are the thing that, that translate. I mean, they're not cutting 
money that I receive personally. Uh, <laughs> this is, these do- tax dollars translate into services to the public. And I really can't say where those savings or those cuts would, would come. Since the voters actually approve our budget, uh, I would not make those decisions. Uh, they would have to approve, the voters would have to approve the final cuts or override the cap if they should choose to do so. Mm. Mm. Uh, now, well, to put those numbers in perspective, our $500,000 roughly equals the town's garbage bill, our fire, the cost of our fire department, or the cost of our police department, and more than our whole road and sidewalk reconstruction program combined. So um, I'll probably recommend that they cut the capital improvements uh, like Colorado did, since Tabor's irrational formulas will make our budget jump around just like a pogo stick. And I know that from, from um, kind of watching the town of Bar Harbor, um, you've tried to keep um, all, and, and the councils, various councils, have tried to keep that kind of steady growth so people can kind of predict what's, what's happening rather than the pogo stick. That's right. When, mm-hmm. If the town spends too much fund balance or they dig in, they leave no rainy day money uh, like Tabor is going to do, uh, then when expenses go up unexpectedly, uh, revenues go down unexpectedly for one reason or another, uh, which they do from time to time, there's, there'd be no money to draw on. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff, I'm going to turn to you. Um, representing um, all of the municipalities or most of the municipalities in Maine, um, what's the position of Maine Municipal Association on uh, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights and, and what, are, what do you find are, are the most significant problems with it? Uh, thanks. The Maine Municipal Association represents uh, the 489 cities and towns in Maine, and the Maine Municipal Association uh, adopts its positions by uh, putting together a policy committee made up of two local officials from each of Maine's 35 Senate districts. Uh, They got together and reviewed Tabor when it was a piece of legislation and overwhelmingly voted to oppose Tabor. That does not mean that every local elected official opposes Tabor, nor does it mean that uh, even all municipalities oppose Tabor. Uh, So when I speak, I'm not speaking as staff of MMA. We didn't sit down and decide what the position of MMA would be. It was our representative body of of local officials, and they're they're overwhelmingly opposed. And maybe if I could, I might just take a couple of minutes and actually explain how Tabor works. We've gotten a lot of, you know, sort of why it's here and and maybe the good things or bad things that it might produce. But uh, a little boring tax policy for a couple of minutes if I could. Tabor essentially does three things. One, it imposes revenue limits on all levels of government. Two, it imposes spending limits on all levels of government. And three, it creates an override process to get over the hurdles uh, in Sections 1 and Sections 2. We have looked at each of these uh, sections for their reasonableness and their rationality, and we think there's three strikes here. It is not reasonable on the revenue limit. It's not reasonable or even rational on the spending limit, and it is not uh, fair on the override process. And here's sort of a quick uh, spin in advocacy as to why. On the revenue limit, what the law says is that any rate change, any tax rate change that brings in a penny of additional revenue must go through the override process. So if you raise your mill rate by a nickel, regardless of whether or not you're keeping your spending under the spending limit, if you raise your your mill rate a nickel and you bring in 1% more in revenue, you have to go through the override process. The revenue limit operates completely independent of the spending limit. In a, in a world of income taxes and sales taxes, this might sort of sound rational. An income tax rate is a rather significant public policy event. A sales tax rate change is a rather significant public policy event. I don't think Maine has done anything but cut its sales tax rate for the past decade. 
uh, once in a decade. They've touched it and they reduced it. Um, property tax mill rates changes uh, are routine events. And so one of the unintended consequences, we believe, of Tabor is that what is not limited are assessed value changes. So if you don't like annual revals, you'll hate Tabor because the town will not want to go through the expense of conducting an override election in order to raise its mill rate a nickel when it can just raise values. Uh, and most communities are not at 100% of market value, and so there's, there's room to raise values. So maybe on an income tax, sales tax rate basis, which is really the Colorado local government, that's how they operate. They really don't operate on the, on the income tax. Uh, Mr. Becker was correctly pointed out that they have lower income tax rates in Colorado. They have much, much higher sales tax rates in Colorado because that's how most of government is funded, local government is funded. As far as the spending limit, you've heard that the formula is essentially population plus inflation. Well, that's one of two formulas for local government. It is inflation plus population change, positive or negative. So if you're losing population, as, as many of the umbrella counties in Maine, down east and, and northern Maine are, uh, your formula can produce a negative number. The other formula that local government must live with is change in assessed value. Again, positive or negative. Not change in market value, but change in assessed value. And then local government must accept the lower of those two formulas. It's not how it works in Colorado. They don't use either of those formulas, and they don't compel you to choose the lower of the two. Neither of these formulas actually work in the real world in any rational or coherent way. The change in assessed value formula fails because there's no policy relationship between changes in assessed value and changes in spending, costs, or anything else. That is an essentially arbitrary political decision. Do you revalue every five years? Do you revalue every nine years or every 15 years? Communities across Maine are, are wildly different in, in how they reassess and the frequency with which they reassess. So there's no coherent public policy relationship between costs of government. So to want to put in an artificial limit on spending, that, that might make sense if there's a relationship between the limit and and. Uh, how government works. There is no relationship between assessed value. Again, this one, this limit, again, by putting it into the law, will have the unintended consequences of compelling revaluations. If that's one of the formulas and we have to live with change in assessed value, fine. Revaluations will have to occur. How much did the last revaluation in Bar Harbor cost, Dana? Something over $300,000. Um, you asked Ms. Adams about how, how Tabor would have uh, impacted her town of Garland. They would have if you look at the two formulas, what they would have produced for Garland last year, the lower of the two formulas was the change in assessed value, and it was less than 2%. It was not the 3 to 4% as it's often described. It was under 2%, about ha half the rate of inflation uh, for last year had Tabor been long. The other formula, population plus inflation, kind of sounds rational. What does inflation change? And since government is in, in the business of providing services, if your population goes down, maybe you should cut your, your budget. There are problems with that, such as service center communities like Bucksport and Ellsworth, whose po daytime populations swell, and then their nighttime bedroom populations decline. This only, uh, Tabor only looks at your bedroom population, not your daytime population. Or as Dana mentioned, if you're a, if you're a big tourist attraction, you don't get to count the, the extra 15,000 people who cross the bridge and, and use your streets uh, and require police service. Uh, so there is some lack of pol policy connection there as well, but even conceding that it exists, you have to trust that the Census Bureau will get your population count accurate. 
they are, have, have w tremendous evidence that they don't know what they're doing. Uh, for example, in, in, in Hancock County, they estimated the, the U.S. Census, what Tabor requires you to use to calculate your budget formula. The census was estimating that Orland from 1996 to 1998 was flat in population, 1,770 people, 1,775, 1,773. Those are the 96, 97, and 98 U.S. Census estimates. When they actually got around to doing the accurate census in 2000, they put in a population for Orland at 2,100. So while on paper population plus inflation might sound rational, the U.S. Census doesn't have a clue. It's not that they're evil people or that they're, they're dumb people. They just cannot get an accurate count of 500 main towns on a year-to-year -year basis. Colorado doesn't use population at the local level to determine its local uh, budget limits. So there are big problems when you try to apply this practically. The third part of Tabor is the override process, which I think you've touched upon. It requires a two-thirds vote of the legislative body and then a citizen referendum. Our perspective here is, is sort of twofold. One, at the, at the tree level, two-thirds voting might sound appealing. Geez, you should, you should leap a higher burden, a higher hurdle if you want to increase some spending above a certain limit. But really what it does is it empowers the minority. It is no longer one person, one vote. Uh, one-third plus one of town meeting or of the city council can hold out and say no. The voters will not be heard. It doesn't empower the citizens to participate in these decisions. They will be locked out of participating if one plus one third plus one say no. Um, but I mean, our concluding statement to every group that we go to is: if, if we can't convince you that the formulas are irrational, if we can't convince you that the that the limit on revenue is extreme, if we can't convince you that minority uh, control is not the way to go then vote for Tabor, but do it locally. Adopt it in your community. And if you adopt it in your community, you control it in your community. You can choose the formulas to live by. You can choose the revenue limits to live by. You can choose the governance procedures, such as two-thirds voting and referendum voting, to live by. This should be a decision that your community makes for itself, not one for which the state will tell you what to do. November 7th, uh, Ms. Adams and Mr. Becker, they don't control this law. It goes to Augusta. You want it changed, you've got to drive down to Augusta and beg and hope that the state legislature will go along with it. You adopt it locally, you control it. So if it's appealing to you, adopt it in your community. Okay, thanks. Um, that's Jeff Austin of Maine Municipal Association. We'll ha allow a couple of minutes um, for responses by Mary Adams or Bill Becker, and then we'll have to let them go because um, we want to open up the phone lines to listeners. Um, first, uh, Mary Adams, a response um, to the opponents that have been represented on today's show? Um, yes. I, 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 I want to um, – I'm, I'm going to defer to Bill on, the, on, the, um, on three points that Jeff, Jeff has raised uh, but I wanted to point out that on the website of taxpayerbillofrights.com, people can go and calculate the tax burden of their town, uh, how it's increased over the last five years. And I, I, while I'm sitting here, I snapped to Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor increased property tax spending 150.1% faster in the last five years than the taxpayer bill of rights limit. And it also increased property tax spending 173.7% faster than personal income growth, significantly increasing the property tax burden for residents. Okay. What we, what we, are, what we are doing is proposing something through citizen referendum, which 
Augusta will not do. And special interests like uh, MMA, the unions, uh, are pouring money into trying to defeat the voice of the citizens who are saying, we can't stand this anymore. We can't stay in our homes. We're having to sell prematurely. This is um, the citizens' opportunity to finally take control by voting yes on one. And the detractors of it, if this were written by Thomas Jefferson, they would be throwing stones at it simply because they want, don't want to relinquish the power which the structure currently has okay. to taxpayers. Thank you, Mary. Um, uh, a response from Bill Becker? Yeah, I guess I would, my response would be this. Jeff talks about each community could adopt it. Uh, but this is a statewide problem. This is a statewide problem. The budget in the state of Maine grew from $5.3 billion last biennium to $6 billion this biennium under LD1. That's a 10% growth. That's not what the LD1 limits were. This is a statewide problem, community by community and state by state, and we have to address it with a state uh, solution. Secondly, uh, Colorado local government is funded by property taxes. Uh, the idea that somehow it's not is, is misleading. The other thing that we have to look about it in Colorado is you know, Colorado is a state that has one of the lowest property taxes as a percentage of our income among in the nation. Uh, they have created hundreds of thousands of jobs in the last 15 years. Their school population has increased by 20% over the last 15 years. Maine's has decreased by that amount. They've had 1.5 million people move there, more than the entire population of the state of Maine. So, you know, I guess I would say that it's, uh, it's, it's sort of stunning to hear this Com, 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 uh, comparison with Colorado, and somehow it's been a, 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 a negative impact on Colorado. It hasn't been a negative impact on Colorado. As a matter of fact, it's allowed people to move there, stay there, raise their families there. Okay, the other, thank you. The, yeah, the, I mean, the last point I would say, the other side has no alternative. The alternative is trust us, stay the course, the status quo, we promise to fix the problem. They're the ones that created the problem to begin with. Maine taxpayers, I think, realize better. Okay. Thanks to both of you, um, Bill Becker from Maine Heritage Policy Center and Mary Adams of uh, uh, Tabor. Um, thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you. Now, can we, we can listen online, correct? Uh, no, well, you can listen online on your computer, um, weru.org, and if you'd like to call back, I'll list the phone numbers in a few minutes, but we have to free up our phone lines for listeners. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you yes, very thank much. You. Okay. Um, again, uh, Bill Becker and Mary Adams. Um, if you'd like to participate in this uh, call-in program, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Please give us a call if you've got questions uh, or comments about the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And in the studio with us, we have Dana Reed, who's a town manager of Bar Harbor, and Jeff Austin of Maine Municipal Association. They'll probably list some uh, additional information as well. I do believe we have a caller online. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Thank you. Yes, I'm Gail and. And I am calling to ask, or actually to make a comment. I, the perception I have is that we are killing the messenger rather than addressing the, the, the real issue here. It seems to me the real issue is the spending of the federal government, which is grossly in, in, in the red, and uh, not therefore then able to allocate funds equitably among the states, and uh, thus the state, states cannot support the programs that are necessary to in, in our communities. So what we're doing is killing the budgets in the state and the communities when we really should be looking at the uh, outrageous spending of the federal government. I'd love to hear comments on okay, that. Okay, thank you very much for your call. Um, we have another call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. 
Yes, go ahead. Uh, yes, go uh, ahead. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Well, we seem to have lost her temporarily. We'll try to get her back. Um, give us a call if you'd like to participate in this conversation. Um, 1-866-625-9378. We do have a caller online. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, go ahead. Okay, we'll try to get that uh, caller back. one 625 Again, a brief response. Um, uh, Dana Reed first. Dana is the town manager of Bar Harbor. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, I'd just like to respond to Mary Adams' comment that about how much taxes have gone up on Bar Harbor. In fact, the voters voted that. She spoke quite eloquently about local control and how important it is. In this case, the things that were driving our costs up the most were projects that needed to be done. When the schools wanted to put an addition on the school and they recommended that, the voters voted to do so knowing full well it was going to increase property taxes. When the seawall fell onto the town beach, the people came to town meeting and they voted to do that. Mm. Uh, when they wanted more recreation, they came to town meeting and increased that budget. So it's important to retain the local control. Mm, good. I think we have another caller. Um, are you, you on the line? Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, this is Gray from Hancock. Good morning. Uh, I'd like, I have a comment. First of all, I kind of object to the whole title of Taxpayer Bill of Rights for this, uh, this effort. I think it is, it is actually a Taxpayer Bill of Rights, but only for a few taxpayers. Essentially what it does is it empowers uh, a, a, a small group of the least civic-minded and most selfish voters in any town to hold up the development of the town as it would be developed by the majority of the voters. And this is also the same group that is so into the development that they have uh, invited any kind of development into Maine. And as the high-paying factory and mill jobs have left, they have, invite, they have invited in the big box stores that pay minimum wages and have no benefits, which increases the demands upon our, our system. And Maine is a very rural state. It's going to cost more to run the state in any case percentage-wise, than in more populous states. And I know from personal experience that, for instance, I live in Hancock, and my, my taxes are a lot lower than people in the low, rest of the country for the most part. You go to Texas or Massachusetts or Connecticut, other places like that, your property taxes are a lot higher. And I just think the whole thing is, is, uh, has the wrong spin on it. I think this is a, an attempt at a, at a small minority to uh, grab power away from them from the majority, and uh, I understand some, a lot of people are, have uh, sincere motivations about it. They're really hurting in taxes, but let's come together and let's do something proper. And the idea of doing it at a local level is a good is a is a good idea. But we don't need uh, a throttle on on our civic discourse, which is what this would be. Thank you. I'll hang much. up. And thank you very much. Thank you very much for your call. Um, we have another caller. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, um, this is Shlomi calling from Warren. Uh, Hi, is that better? Yes, thank you. Okay, sorry, I had my speaker on. Um, I, I, I'm kind of disappointed that um, the proponents are no longer on the phone, and I hope that one of them will call back to respond to this. Um, uh, first of all, before I say that, I want to say I don't like being called a taxpayer. I am a, I do pay taxes. I pay about uh, 5% of my income in property tax. Um, 
So, and, and I'm a low-income person. So I, I, I do recognize that property tax is not an equitable way to support the things that we want to do as a community. But I don't like being referred to as a taxpayer any more than I like being referred to as a consumer. I'm a citizen. Mm. And as a citizen, I have responsibilities and commitments that I make. And taxes, I don't view as a burden, even though they're sometimes burdensome, mm. but as a commitment. And yes, I want to be able to adjust how that commitment is, is, uh, is set up. I would like to get... Uh, okay, one more thing. <laughs> Colorado, I don't know how many of the people who support this um, so-called Tabor um, have ever been to Colorado. My dad lives there, and I've been there. And um, they have turned beautiful, productive ranches into condo farms. And you drive the road from Denver to Colorado Springs, and there are people standing out there in clown suits with big signs telling you to come and look at these condos to buy them. And there, and, and there are hundreds of people out there trying to sell empty condos that have sprung up all over the land as a way of developing the land to produce more revenue. So, um, so if Tabor's working and that's how it works... Uh, that's a vision I think people ought to get a look at before they decide whether they want it for Maine. Uh, my final question, which I would love, as I say, to have the, the proponents call back an answer to, is have they looked at Pat LaMarche's plan for changing the tax structure in the state of Maine? She's the only politician out there right now who I've heard actually has a plan, and it sounds like a really good one to me. And, um, and while I don't normally vote green, um, I plan to vote for Pat in part because of this and in part because of her health care policy. And so that I would like to, uh, I'm going to hang up, and I would love it if someone who is for Tabor would, would tell me what they think of Pat's plan. Thank you. Okay, we'll see if we can get some more phone calls. I think we have some folks on the line. But before we go to those calls, um, uh, Jeff Austin has a comment. Uh, without reference to uh, Pat LaMarche's plan, one of the impacts of Tabor will be, we believe, uh, essentially an impossibility of tax reform in the state of Maine. Uh, a little-known aspect of, of Tabor on taxes is, is that it's a one-way street. The supporters of Tabor want the citizens to be heard if a mill rate goes up. But if the legislature is going to give away a special interest tax break, the citizens are not asked for their opinion on that. There is no two-thirds requirement to enact another special interest tax break. There's no citizen referendum or participation in cutting taxes or carving out special interest tax breaks. Uh, Mr. Becker asked, you know, what has the state done about taxes in the last two years? The state this year repealed the personal property tax going forward. All new business equipment in the state of Maine that is purchased next year zero tax on it. That is targeted relief. We opposed it because of the shifting effect, but the state does look at these things. Special interest tax giveaways, citizens don't need to be heard under the Tabor plan. You want to raise your mill rate a nickel? Yeah, then let's call the citizens out to participate. It's a one-way street. Thank you. We have two more calls. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi, am I on? Yes, you are. Thank you. Oh, okay, great. Um, I'm calling from Stonington, and um, I have a question slash comment. Um, when when it is said that Tabor will increase with the rate of inflation, is that the federally determined rate of inflation? Um, that's my question because it yes, seems to me correct. that the federal uh, determination of inflation is is just totally inaccurate. It doesn't take into account um, the things that most people spend most of their money on. Um, you know, in this town, we spend most of our money on the school, and I'm sure a big part of that is paying the health care for people who work at the school, and that has been going up way beyond inflation. Um, then, of course, there's also fuel costs, which has also gone way up more, much more than inflation. So, um, 
<clears throat> seems to me inevitably the towns would become find themselves in a terrible budget crunch. And, you know, if those of us, and I am, you know, a low-income person, are looking for, for relief, it would be from the federal government, these unfunded mandates, um, the dreadful state of health care, which is far more burdensome than local taxes for me. Um, so, anyway... That's my comment. Thank you very much. And a, a brief comment again from Jeff Austin of Maine Municipal Association relative uh, to the rate of inflation. Yeah, just to answer the question technically, yes, the inflation adjustment factor as defined in Tabor is the national inflation rate calculated by the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Mm. We have a couple more calls. Let's keep those coming. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. You're on the line with Talk of the Towns. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Good morning. I am Jim from Washington. Uh, I would like to know from the MMA person there, what does it really mean when the Tabor supporters claim that Maine has the highest tax burden in the nation? Uh, I consider myself a person of modest means, and I believe that my taxes, both income and property taxes, are quite moderate. Uh, and I will uh, comment that I see this whole Tabor thing as a sour and bitter group of people who wish to control my town in the state, only with a minority of individuals. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Jeff Austin? Uh, I'm, I'm glad the question was asked. You know, Maine Municipal Association has been working for a long time on property taxes because local officials are concerned about it. They, th they think there are both federal mandates and, and state mandates that have been coming down on, on local government that really only has the property tax as an option. That being said, taxes being high, there, there is no need to exaggerate. The tax burden analysis that's pointed to by proponents essentially takes all the taxes paid in Maine divided by all the income earned in Maine to calculate a ratio, and I think Mr. Becker said it was around 13%. In our opinion, that's, that's a bogus analysis because it includes the tax bill on Martha Stewart's home but not her income. I pay my tax bill. It's high enough. I don't pay hers. That analysis assumes that we do. In, in an area of Maine such as this where you have a lot of out-of-state property owners with considerable wealth, it is misleading to try to tell Mainers that you're paying the property tax bill of Martha Stewart and all the other out-of-state owners who have very wealthy coastal properties. You don't. You, your taxes are high enough. Uh, you don't need to be told that you're paying somebody else's tax bill. So we don't want anybody to misinterpret. It's not as if we, th we say there's no problem with taxes and nothing should be done. But we believe the proponents exaggerate uh, when, they, when they point to a flawed analysis that tells us that we're paying Martha Stewart's bill when we're really not. You're listening to Talk of the Towns this morning. We have um, guests in the studio who can help with that question. Also, we've heard from the proponents, Mary Adams and, and uh, Bill Becker. Um, Dana Reed is the town manager of Bar Harbor, and Jeff Austin is with Maine Municipal Association. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. We do have a caller on the line. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, hello. Uh, this is Rick from Deer Isle. Great. Thank Welcome. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, a couple of things about taxes, maybe, and then about the election. Uh, I think I'm going to vote for Tabor. I think I'm tired of the same old, and uh, nothing's been done. Uh -huh. uh, the, uh, the, the split uh, incomes as far as in-state and out-of-state, maybe we could do something different as far as property taxes, maybe a, a tax on sales at the time of sales. Uh, but I'll get off that, and I'll, uh, I'd like to get to the uh, the election. Well, we're not really dealing with the election. We're, we are dealing with okay. the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. So thanks. Okay, how, how about some radical thoughts, maybe not radical, but uh, different thoughts as far as the, uh, the budget goes? I mean, we haven't... Uh, 
We've got a we've got a system that runs around an economical system that runs around around a uh, automobile. Okay, we have got no mass transit plans. Uh, that would uh, that would take uh, some of the burden off it if we had if we had a different different means of uh, uh, getting around and transporting. Uh, the school budget uh, is a major thing. That's uh, that's something that I I think maybe a uh, an optional uh, education on TV. So at at your local level, um, do you go to town meeting and, and uh, voice your concerns about the school budget, for instance? Uh, I have been to town meetings. Yes, I don't. Uh-huh. I don't have a chance to attend all. Right. Uh, I think I think it's time for some changes. I think it's time for some uh, long long sighted. Uh, long-term plans. I mean, these politicians get in there, and, and uh, it's the professional politicians. We don't have any any options. Alexi uh, Nada, none of the above, on the ballots. Okay. Uh, on well, our referendums, one last thing. On our referendums, when they give us referendums, they give us questions that are grouped together, uh, and we have to accept four or five other issues to get the good one. Right. Why can't we have one, two, three, four, five questions? And have five check marks. I think we could. Uh, I think we'd be uh, better uh, represented. Okay. Well, thank you for your call okay. this morning. Thank, thank you, you very you. much. Uh, we've we've got a chance for a couple more comments uh, from Jeff Austin and, and Dana Reed. Uh, Jeff, uh, a quick comment to the last caller from Deer, Deer Isle. Uh, he certainly expresses a sentiment that's out there that people are frustrated, and and even though maybe Tabor they don't they don't particularly like it or maybe they do they're, they're voting just because they're, they're frustrated with the current system I don't really have good news for him as far as if Tabor passes will it change state government Tabor in Maine will merely be a law in Colorado it was a constitutional amendment the state uh, government of Colorado had to follow it in Maine it is merely a statute meaning the state government can amend it ignore it repeal it uh, so if you have low faith in politicians which is essentially one of the cornerstones of the pro-Tabor movement that there's no political will to get anything done, and, and we're frustrated with legislators, and we don't think they're doing a good job. You have to turn around and accept on faith that they'll get religion on, on November 8th and start following Tabor to the letter of the law. We're not so hopeful that the state will, will be as faithful to Tabor. Uh, they haven't always been faithful to citizen legislation. Um, as far as your local government, though, it's bound. There's, there's no uh, local ability to repeal or amend. Great, thanks. Um, and uh, Dana Reed um, doesn't have a comment there, but again, that notion of of how to t- how does policy get formed, and at least in your experience in Bar Harbor, it, it happens at the town meeting. Uh, that's exactly right, Ron. Uh, our, as I said before, we have uh, town council. The first thing they do is decide what taxes ought to be for the next year when they form their budget to take to town meeting, and. Then we work to that number. So you've got a kind of an envelope that you set up ahead of time. That's right. And any town could create that envelope. And that's a little exactly. bit like Jeff saying, if you really like Tabor, pass it at your local level. Then you get, you've got the chance to operate at that that's local exactly level. That's exactly right. Okay. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that um, this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday at this time for Family Radio Forum and on the third Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland Music recording. 
Our shows are now archived at weru.org. Click on Archives. Thanks again to our guests uh, who were with us by phone this morning, Mary Adams, proponent of Tabor, along with Bill Becker of the Maine Heritage Policy Center. And in the studio with us, we had Dana Reed, the town manager of Bar Harbor, and Jeff Austin from Maine Municipal Association. Thanks so much to our underwriters. Thanks for Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, a nonprofit organization, partnering with people in communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. Brooksville artist Robert Shetterly is well known for, among other things, his series of portraits called Americans Who Tell the Truth. Join us Tuesday morning at 10, October 31st, as we hear Rob Shetterly interview one of the subjects of one of those portraits, Hal Crowther. That's Rob Shetterly interviewing Hal Crowther, one of the Americans who tell the truth.